We've been in a series called The Practice of Scripture, and if you've been tracking with us for the last few weeks, we started with the whole story of the Bible and talked about God's authority being expressed through Scripture a couple of weeks ago and what that means. Last week, we looked at the living tradition of faith that we noticed was evident in, in the, the New Testament writings and what led to over 350 years really bringing um, what we call the canon of Scripture or the New Testament uh, letters together. And we walked through that last week. If you didn't, weren't with us or didn't get that foundation, I totally encourage you to just backtrack through our podcast or videos uh, to lean into that because we're going to shift into something a little different today. And what I want to do today is kind of move from reading the Bible to our own reality because it's great to discover scripture, but then it's another thing. At some point, we got to start discerning how to apply it. And uh, I actually threw out something on Facebook today. If people have questions over the last few weeks or even today to throw them at me or at us where we can either respond to them in future messages, uh, or even email them at connectedwestsidegathering.com. If I get a buzz on my phone or a text and I see one uh, ha- you know, later through the gathering, maybe we might even respond to it today. Otherwise, we'll do it online later on. Um, but here's, here's a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, like 30 years ago, uh, 25 years ago, uh, when I was in the moment, I've, I've been bringing up my wife lately in this series on scripture. I have no idea why, because we're not talking about relationships or marriage or anything like that. But some of these stories come to me while, we're, while I'm thinking about this topic. And here's one, because before we were just starting to, to get to know each other, and I was pursuing this deeper relationship with Franca before we were married, there were some decisions in my mind as a young person in their 20s, early 20s, wanted to figure out. And I wanted to honor God, but I also wanted to pursue this relationship. But then I had this honest kind of wrestling inside me. And it was like, well, how will this relationship, and many people might think about this if they're in an early relationship, how will this affect my own life? How will this affect my goals and my ambition? And typical... Uh, evangelical kind of Christian upbringing. It's like open the Bible for wisdom. A couple of weeks ago, I ended up, you know, describing a story like that. And I shouldn't have followed the scripture at that time because literally it was just about, you know, killing another nation. And if I picked up Hosea when I was trying to discover this and God told Hosea to marry, uh, to marry someone that was just as, a, as an example to Israel, not what we should really follow. I wouldn't do that either. But I opened up the Bible for wisdom and Proverbs showed up and it was Proverbs 24. I was reading it uh, maybe that week and it came to Proverbs 24, 27 that said these words, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. And after that, build your house. It was like, is this like God telling me to wait on this relationship or not? And it fed into my own fears at the time because maybe I was thinking, maybe I'm not ready for a relationship. Maybe God wants me to work on me before I include someone else in my life. Maybe I should get education and vocation in motion first before I allow another person into, into my own decisions. And that's not necessarily bad. It actually could be really wise to build your foundation first and then move on to other things. But at face value, anybody could have read that proverb at any moment in their life, and they would have to still do the hard work of discerning in the moment, do I need to be applying this in a literal way right now in this moment? And here's a backstory for you, and this is why I bring up this verse, because I was fearful of commitment. So often, I was preoccupied about making sure the trajectory of my life was on track. So I wasn't immune from finding things, even in the Bible, to feed my own fears or my own predispositions, and then I would read something and say, oh, this is what God wants me to do for sure, because maybe I was 
feeling the fear of making a next step. And maybe I allowed even use the Bible to make a decision for me instead of owning up to the responsibilities in that moment and how I had to discern my life. Now, as you guys know, I got married to Franca, so it's not that I disregarded the Bible, but uh, I figured that it was leading me to pursue wisdom, but also to pursue this relationship. (laughs) And so we've been married for 23 years now, so that worked out well. But uh, every time we open the Bible especially if we're hoping to follow its wisdom every single time we must consider more than just the literal words off the page. We must consider more than just that. And we must always move from reading to reality, or here's kind of the big idea today, moving from discernment to uh, from discovery to discernment, moving from discovery to discernment. Here's this text uh, from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to this first century church in Corinth. And uh, Corinthians is a really interesting letter, two letters actually in our New Testament, that really help us understand that that, that you know, town was going through some different issues. But here's this one example that Paul gives us. I think about how he tried to discern how to share this core message of the gospel, which we talked about last week, this living tradition of faith, and how to share it with different people in different groups. So he says in this, and I'm going to read this, this text for you, and um, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because I didn't even read it. So here it is, verse, uh, verse 19. If you've got your Bibles at home, turn to it, and uh, we'll follow this way. So he, listen to what Paul says. He says, Though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under, under the law, though I myself am not under the law as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. Getting confused yet? Anyways. As to win those not having the law. And to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all means, I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share its blessings. Now, before you read into this, I'm not sharing this text so we can do whatever the heck we want in any moment and disregard principles. But Paul somehow had to discern the core message of Christ, what the core message of the gospel of the kingdom was that he received from Jesus, the climax of God's story in Christ, the authority expressed through scripture, and yet communicated and livid to different contexts, to God-fearing Jews, to non-Jews, to Roman citizens, to Greek philosophers. And he realized, here's this core message but I got to figure out and discern how to share this message to these different people. And interestingly enough, to a Jew, he would sit as someone who understood the law. But to a non-Jew, he would disregard the law because there was no expectation on that non-Jewish person to follow the law. Someone might say, Paul, this, um, you know, kind of like turned away from the scripture to share this with them. But he wasn't doing that. He was discerning in the moment what was vital This is rooted in a really cool story in Acts chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas come back to Jerusalem to the council of leaders in Jerusalem of the church because they come to tell them this story. They tell them that there's so many people coming to faith. 
the church is exploding in growth. And it's moved from uh, mainly Jewish people who've come to faith to now non-Jewish people who've come to faith and others. And they're saying, we don't know what to do because we're so used to being a church with people who know the law and have a Jewish background. Now there's so many who don't know the law. And I don't think we're supposed to really expect them to follow the law like the Jews follow the law. And so they're like, to the, to the church leaders, they're like, please help us. So they're asking, basically, what part of the Old Testament should we oblige the non-Jews to follow? And the apostles discerned a few core commitments that were really essential and disregarded others. And in that moment, they went from discovering what the core message of the gospel was to how to apply the scriptures to those people in that time frame. And Christians have been doing this ever since, not deviating from the core message of the scriptures, but discerning what it means to live following the gospel in their day and age. And if you've met a Christian in another part of the world, you have come to discover that they might need to apply the core message of the gospel slightly discerning differently than you. When we take communion once a month, we break bread, we pour some some grape juice or wine. But if you were somewhere in the sub-Sahara desert and the only liquid you had was someone with a cooler and a little can of Pepsi, you would take communion with Pepsi. (laughs) Now, the scriptures tell us that Jesus poured wine. And if we want to follow it literally, we would be stuck. But in that moment, someone would discern, how can we honor this command well? And so the church grew initially from a major majority Jewish group in Palestine into various regions and nations, languages, cultural traditions, and they would have to discern how to proclaim the gospel, how to live the gospel, how to apply the gospel. And here's a problem that you and I often face, is how do we translate God's authoritative or authority expressed through scriptures in different contexts? We live in 21st century Montreal, not first century Corinth. We, le- we live in North America, not Eastern Asia. Everyone wants to believe this about the Bible. And I think most Christians would believe that they're biblical literalists. I think most Christians want to believe that they're biblical literalists. What do I mean by that? Most Christians want to believe that they're taking the exact words of the Bible literally and applying them literally. And most will believe that. But I I bet every one of you listening today, regardless of how mature you are as a follower of Christ, no, no matter how long you've been reading the Bible, how long maybe you've even been teaching the Bible, I bet everyone listening today has broken that perceived idea of reading the Bible literally and applying it literally. And you're like, Dave, I never do that. I'm telling you, you've done it. 100% each and every one of us has done it. How? Because you've picked and chosen at times what to follow literally and what to follow generally. You've picked and chosen at times what is God universally saying for all times, in all places, to all people. And you, or you're choosing what's God saying in that moment, but generally saying to the rest of us, and how do I apply it here? You're choosing in that moment, how, how, okay, I'm adopting this, this truth. I'm adopting this text. And then sometimes you adopt it literally. Sometimes you adapt it. And you might be thinking, I never do that. But you all do that. We all do that. Matt Nardoza told me about a book he's reading. It's called The Year of Living Biblically by uh, an atheist Jew called A.J. Jacobs. And he did an experiment for a whole year. 
He literally followed the laws nine months in the Old Testament and three months of principles in the New Testament. And as an atheist Jew, he said he learned a lot. He appreciated a lot. He didn't become a believer because of it, but he got a book deal. (laughs) He got a book deal. But here's what the experiment pushed. The experiment pushed us to when you read a book like that, you're like, how do I move from discovery to discernment? What's, What's meant to be lived out how am i supposed to live this out today according to the core message of the scriptures and here's an easy example that sometimes we might even not think about i bet you that most of us are biblical literalists when it comes to the lord's prayer no one would like say well this is what the lord's prayer is and this is what i'm going to pray but when jesus introduces the lord's prayer and we read it in a couple of different gospels We read, when you pray, Jesus says, when you pray, say this. If you go to a more original version or translation, it'll say, whenever you pray, say this. Right? Now let me ask you, when you pray and whenever you pray could be applied very differently if you take it literally. Whenever you pray, if we take the words of Jesus literally, means that every time I begin to pray, I should pray the Lord's Prayer. If I take the words of Jesus literally. Scott McKnight, who's a a biblical scholar, he says, historically, to the best of our knowledge, Christians have recited this prayer whenever they gathered for worship. And for the first thousand years of the church's existence, uh, Christians would, would say this prayer together in public every time they gathered on a Sunday. Every time. Do we say this prayer every Sunday? We don't. Are we breaking a command of Jesus? Maybe. If we're literalists, yes, we are. But if we're trying to discern, I'm just throwing out the question. Why did they do that? They did that because the Bible said so. But modern evangelicals will read this and say, well, maybe, you know what? We don't want to be people with, that just like vainly repeat prayers. We don't want to be people that just read a prayer and it's mindless. Or maybe some Christians have fought back because they say, I grew up in a school and every day we read the Lord's Prayer and now it means nothing to me. So I know Jesus said whenever I pray, but because that happened to me, I'm not going to do it. Well, if, if, that's, if it's true that we should follow this literally, then we've kind of said, you know what? I'm not going to really follow it literally. So if we're honest, we've applied it generally, but not universally. And I think we need to wrestle with that. Now, I would not say that any church should split over if they read it every Sunday or not, or if you recite the Lord's Prayer daily or not. There's no real big doctrinal issue involved here. But I'm just giving us an example. Here's another example of, you know, some, some um, camps within Christianity would take a text like in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, where Paul says in that context that women should not teach. And some have taken that to be a universal teaching or a universal command while some have understood it to be a context applied to that time period for for what's going on in that culture for discipleship purposes women were coming to faith and um, in different contexts than their husbands their husbands were connected to the learning community of the church more than the women were the women were uh, used to being in some other religious settings where people just you know shot up questions and words and this and that and in that setting Maybe Paul was saying, hey, right now, according to what you've learned, it's better that you learn first and and then not teach the men. Now, here's why, why I bring this passage up. Because people who would say that women can't teach will take that little line literally. Women shouldn't teach. But the next line, they don't take it literally because it says women should keep silent. So in the same phrase, 
Some who would say this is literal, but this can't be literal. We can't make women be silent. That would be, that wouldn't be great. So it's interesting that most people who take the phrase don't teach literally, don't take the phrase keep silent literally. And so we have to grapple with that. Now, I'm not going to open up no teaching on this today. I'll let everybody kind of open up their own can of worms at home. But, um, no, but, but really, just think about this for a second. Why did I bring this up? I have my own personal conviction, and here at Westside, we also encourage women involved in leadership in different ways. But let's admit this. We pick and choose. And there's importance of going from discovery to discernment because we pick and choose. So what do we do? How do we do that? Well, here's what we're discerning. We're discerning when we read the scriptures. What is a universal application to this? And what is a general application to this? Or we're saying, what's universally seen here and must universally be applied? Or what's maybe universally seen, like the core idea, but must be applied differently in our context. And that's never detouring away from God's word. It's never saying we're going to minimize the message. We're going to dumb down the message. We're going to water down the message. Paul, when he talked to Jews or non-Jews or Greeks or Roman citizens, in his mind, he never said, you know, we're going to change the gospel for the Jews. We're going to change the gospel for the Gentiles. We're going to change the gospel for Greek philosophers. He never did that. In his mind, he knew that he was staying true to the gospel he received from Jesus, but he discerned how to communicate it in that setting. And even when you read his letters you'll read the variances of how he addresses a a certain group because of what they're wrestling with at the moment and what they're struggling with at that time. So here's where we start. And it's just this big idea of context that every word, every phrase, every passage, every book we read in the scriptures has a context in an official way, a little bit to be a little bit more academic. I learned when I was learning to study the scriptures that a text without a context is a pretext. So a text without a context is always a pretext. So we could take any word or phrase and without its context, it becomes a pretext. In other words, we, it's hard to really wrestle with what it is. So here's kind of a big picture. There's going to be a list that comes up on the screen and it's kind of the flow of what I want to think about. And I'm going to really walk through it quickly. And so it's really this way. If we think about context, I want to talk about it this way. From up to down, God's story, the testaments, the books, a passage, a word or a phrase, and then my story. And, and I want you just to think about that as we're, we're, we're thinking like, what is context? So here's the first thing, God's story. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. The large biblical story, God's vision for humanity and new creation, God's vision for humanity for eternity in new creation. And yet in the middle of that story, like we discovered a couple of weeks ago, there's a brokenness in humanity that we must discern, we must recognize. God shows a people like Israel to be a light to the world. Jesus is the climactic moment in the story on the cross and resurrection. We see a shift in the scriptures from Israel to Jesus to the church. And so we have this larger story as the big context, this big umbrella. Whenever we open the Bible, and I encourage you that, to do that a couple of weeks ago, when, whatever you're reading in the Bible, ask yourself, which part of the story am I in? Because if you can know what part of the story you're in, you can discern a little bit more of the context of the text you're reading. 
But here's the next level down, is the testaments. And I say two because there's two testaments. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And this is important because Christianity has two testaments. The Jews read the Hebrew Bible, and Christians read the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament. And this is really important to understand, that we have two testaments, and we read them both in unison as a whole, but we also, when we're in them, understand them in its context. Here's why it's important. I was, I was listening to the radio a couple of years ago where someone was addressing radical Islam, and there was, um, I think, a, like an Islamic scholar or a professor online, and this person, in response to the questions they were asked about radical Islam, said, well, you know what? Listen, the Quran has certain things that are said in it, but, you know, you have to take it in context and understand how to apply it today. And then this person said these words. He said, you know, it's kind of like the Christian Old Testament. Christians read the Old Testament, but they recognize that there are certain things in here that maybe don't apply today. And I was listening. I'm like, what, what, what's she going to say next? And then I thought I would have loved to be the interviewer because I wanted to ask this question. And I, I wanted to ask this. The Quran is the Quran, but the Old Testament has a New Testament. Like the Quran doesn't have a new Quran. The Old Testament has a New Testament. What I mean by that is when you read the Quran, yes, they were, they're wise to say, how do we wrestle with that for today's culture? But as Christians, when we read the Old Testament, we don't just say, how do we wrestle with it for today's culture? We say, wait a second, how does Jesus change this? How does Jesus help us interpret this? How does the new covenant help us interpret this? So when we read the two testaments, we understand the Old Testament telling us Israel's story from creation to the prophets and the New Testament telling us the story of Jesus and the church, all in continuity. But when I read them and I open it, I must recognize what testament am I in? And here's the next level down. It's books. Because every book in the Bible is a unique piece of literature. Every book. The Torah outlines Israel's law. There's historical books telling us the life of Israel. There's wisdom literature that includes principles and wisdom and poems and songs and metaphors and all that kind of stuff. There's prophets who speak God's word into Israel's time period at a certain time. So Isaiah spoke during one king's reign and Jeremiah spoke through another king's reign and Malachi spoke during another season. And so they're speaking at a certain time frame. It's like if God would use someone to speak to the church in Toronto in, in the 1900s, but speak to a church in Toronto in the 21st century, they might need to address the church for different reasons and different purposes. And that's how the Old Testament prophets dealt with Israel. Now, it usually was connected to a moment when Israel failed to meet God's vision for their life. And often those prophets would also see the Messiah coming the new creation coming. But we need to read them in their context. Then we have the Gospels. There's no other literature in the world called Gospel except the Gospels in our New Testament because it references that Jesus is the Gospel, the good news for all humankind. And his life and teachings and parables and miracles, all of it is the Gospel because Jesus is good news. But if you've read a Gospel or a parable in the Gospels and you've read like Romans chapter 3, you know that they sound very different. Because the way the gospel writers tell us about Jesus' life is very different than Paul speaking into the life of the church in Rome during that time period. It just sounds different because Paul's teaching them for a specific moment that they're wrestling through. And the gospel writers are telling us about what Jesus has done and did and his, and, and his parables. 
So the letters then become different. The acts of of history also become different because we read the stories of the church just growing and expanding. And I want you to consider how, as Paul writes the letters, they're very different. Now, when Paul writes to this church in Galatia, you have this sense like he's really speaking specifically because there were these Jews who became Christians who were trying to force non-Jews to act like Jews before they became Christians. Does that make sense? So Paul's trying to tell these, this church, he's, he's trying to encourage these non-Jews. He's like, listen, these Gentiles don't have to become Jewish to become Christian. These Gentiles can become Christian without becoming Jewish. That's Paul's main point in Galatia. But he never talks like that to Corinth or to Colossae because he's, he's, he's speaking to them in a different moment. And so... Each book has a, often has a different genre and a different context. And Revelation throws us off because we want to read Revelation like we read the book of Acts or like we read Paul's letters and then we realize, what's all this metaphor? The land, the sea, the beasts, the fire, the bulls, this, you know, the wind is like, what's happening here? Is this literal? Is this metaphorical? You know, and, and we're like, what is this? And so even reading apocalyptic literature that tries to like... Uh, unveil what's happening behind the scenes as John writes this first century church wrestling under the oppression of Rome. We need to know the context of that book. And then we drop one level down and it's the passage because each book has different sections. If you read Romans 1 to 11, sounds, it's, it, Paul shifts in Romans 12 to verse, chapter 16 because he now shifts his attention to a different posture. If you read Ephesians, the first three chapters are really beautiful um, exhortation about who Jesus is and our identity in Christ. And then chapters four to six, he starts to apply that to their lives. So it reads differently. So each book has passages and sections. And then each phrase and each word all fits in this kind of cascading context. And it all comes down to our story. It comes down to discern from discovery to discernment. From God's story, the two testaments that are fit, fit into that, each book in each testament, the genres, the context, the culture, the paragraph, the phrase, the word. But ultimately, what are we doing? We're trying to discern, Lord, what does that mean? How do I live that today? How is your story influencing my story? How is this verse in Proverbs that I read when I was trying to discern a relationship moving forward, how does this fit all of your story? What does it mean in my story? And when I read uh, another text, I have to ask that question. And it's so important because it goes from God's story to our story. We never change God's story. We never manipulate God's word. We never detour away from the core message. But ultimately, when we're reading it, we must move to discernment. And there's always two, two filters in this. The first filter is Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God's word. God gives Jesus authority. Jesus' cross and resurrection changes everything. Hebrews tells us that God spoke in former times in different ways, and now he speaks through Jesus. Jesus is a key filter. And culture is not a filter. It doesn't change. But we have to understand that how are we going to live this out today? And sometimes that's going to really put us in a bind because we're going to have to live in such a way that contrasts culture. We're going to have to, we're going to, following Jesus uh, will often look like a contrast to culture. When, when the early disciples said, Jesus is Lord, 
they were automatically saying Caesar, the Roman emperor, is not Lord. So often reading the scriptures and applying it, we don't do this discernment phase to get away from hard situations. We don't do this discernment phase to say like, well, that was then, this is now. We don't, no, no, no. We do it because we want to discern how is God's word to us shaping our story. And it will happen that the way we live our story according to God's story will often be a contrast to culture will often challenge us, will often shape us. Sometimes reading it will encourage. It's like, this is amazing. This is happening in our city. God would be pleased about this. Sometimes that does happen. But then often it forces us into contrast. And that's when the hard wrestling of discernment. And why do we need contact, context? Because we will often bring our own perceptions to the text. We will often want to... F- want to use the text to justify our fears, our predispositions, our desires, our wants. 25 years ago, 26 years ago, when I read Proverbs, I let that proverb in some way also, I was looking, and we have to admit that, are we sometimes looking at the scripture to justify my own fear? Am I looking at the scripture to maybe justify myself sabotaging a situation? I got to be careful i got to be careful. Am I looking into the scripture and saying, I want it to say what I think it should say? Now, Proverbs is maybe a different scenario, but I might look at some of the words of Paul or others and say, oh, yeah, 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 great. This, this feeds into my political ideas, my bent, my this, my that. No, no, we need to read it in context so it confronts us, not just caters to us. And here's what this process will do, and I'll wrap up with this. It humbles you, humbles me, because we recognize that the Bible isn't the most recent paperback that we pick up in the airport. It's not a textbook. It's not a science book. It's not a philosophy book. It's not a self-help book. It's not just, you know, chicken soup for the soul type book in every variety that you want. That's not what the Bible is. It's bigger than that. And when we read it in all its fullness, it humbles us. When we read it in context, it prevents us from seeing only what we want to see in the Bible. And we don't want to just see what we want to see. We want to see what the scripture is saying. And when we read it this way in context, it leads us to dig into all of scripture. So when I read wisdom in the Proverbs or I read Paul's letters, I, I kind of cascade up and say, okay, how is this, how is this fit into the trajectory of what Jesus wants for my life? What I read about Christ. We dig into all of scripture and then it leads us to Jesus. And when it leads us to Jesus and we follow him, it leads us to how this plays out in our own life, how God is shaping us, confronting us, changing us, sometimes encouraging us. And so the next few weeks, what we're going to do is actually say, how do we read the Bible in a way that fuels this context? How do we read it by ourselves? Because I'm pretty sure many of you read the Bible all by yourself. And that's not wrong, but we're also going to talk about how we read the Bible together because we're never meant to read the Bible alone. That's what we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. And so I want to wrap up and pray. And, um, and I just, I want to encourage you because this has actually, this kind of reading has confronted me more than it's fed my own, my own views. It's often confronted me more than it's fed my own views. And this last summer, right, we walked through Psalm 23 and, and reading Psalm 23 in context of what it was, it was wisdom literature, It's not a gospel. But it also helped us tie into Jesus who saw God as a great, who who talked about God as a shepherd. And we started to see these pieces together. 
And when we, when, when we started to see how Psalm 23 helps us to live under the management and care of our great shepherd, and we tie that to the lordship of Jesus, all of a sudden we start reading and praying that psalm within the context of God's bigger story connected to Christ. I can't tell you since this summer that we walked through psalms, and I know I taught you know, four out of the six weeks of that, but I can't tell you how often I find myself praying on my own or with others or for others that our lives would come under the management of care of our great shepherd and how much it encourages me that I lack nothing because there's a beautiful thing that happens when we read those texts in context, in the story, in the testaments, in the books, in the passage and how it connects it to our lives. Something changes because we start to see God's big picture. So let's pray. God, we're, we're so grateful that we have this incredible book and your incredible word for us. God, I just, I want to submit myself first to never bringing my own ideas to, this, to the text in a way that influences it. But God, as we read the scriptures in context, whether devotionally, liturgically in worship, studying it. Oh God, I pray that we would always come humbly before your word. I pray that we would not allow our agenda to get on top of your agenda. I pray that you would give us the wisdom, the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and a posture of heart that would surrender to you, God, so we can move from discovery to discernment. And God, I pray that you give us the courage and the faith to say yes to your word even when it confronts us. God, I pray for that. And help me, Lord, first, and all of us, God, always submit to your authority expressed in Scripture. And help us be mindful when we will sometimes even use that language for our favor. Instead, let us submit to it and grow together as a church community, God. I pray for anyone watching today that is just longing to get more out of the Scripture, God, that you would just encourage them to read and grow in context with us as a community, but ultimately part of your bigger story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.